This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. And good morning. Uh, or, uh, how are you this morning? It is now 11 a.m. Still Home Improvement Show. We have two more hours going up till 1 o'clock. Stay tuned. Scott Mosby here at the helm as we cruise down the mighty Mississippi phone lines open for you your questions bring it on bring it in bring it early 314-436-7900 314-436-7900 following this show 1 p.m your retirement professionals two o'clock one of my favorite shows business of family business and uh just uh you know i like hearing the history of st louis i'm kind of a business uh history uh, nut Frankly, my own family business, Mosby Building Arts, my day job. Uh, we are three quarters of a century old. Uh, golly, that uh, that kind of defies logic. Uh, and my job is just to keep the wheel turning and uh, keep those jobs going, all those families, because our constituency not only is our customers, our clients, uh, design people. We are a full construction company, vertically integrated with just about everything it takes to perform a residential project from architects, product selection people, certified aging in place, which is a way of saying universal design, stay in your home, uh, certified kitchen and bath designers, licensed architects, all the way through to carpenters, plumbers, electricians, everything, as well as the extended supply chain that you didn't think was important a few years ago. Boy, howdy, we learned that it was and still is. Uh, So anyway, that's the uh, point and where I get a lot of this uh, experience of, um, you know, I have a whole lot of peers that, you know, they're out there at an accelerated learning pace. So it's not just me out there messing things up. It's everybody out there learning uh, some of these new products, new uh, methods and training systems. Uh, And my job, I, I spend more time on the road basically nationally whether training or learning uh frankly a, a good teacher is a great student uh, so the more curious i am and the more questions i have in some of these seminars whether building science coding quality uh new lumber things uh, bug treatment th- uh, things uh solar is coming on uh we're now um i'm kind of a solar nut though uh, we're not in the solar business this goes back 50 years to my father saying you know one day all that free stuff that falls out of the sky called sunlight uh, is going to have a big future for how we handle energy. Well, golly, gasoline was 19 cents a gallon. It's like, oh, Dad, you know, that's, you know. So anyway, I've pumped gas at 19 cents a gallon. I remember gas wars when how low the price could get. Well, that's just a measurement of how um, antiquated I am. Uh, so we'll we'll let that pass. But the point being that solar panels have been the standard. Uh, we've had all these uh, solar tax credits, various things. Illinois has very aggressive state tax to go along with a 26% existing federal tax for renewable en- en- energies, one being specifically the solar. Um, so the point being is those panels are not all that attractive. So if you've got a flat roof or a hidden roof or you know the back of your house faces south, southwest, or southeast, those are good places that, but, you know, if the front of your house faces south, there's nothing really attractive. Now, <clears throat> with some of these films and thin ap- applied things on substrates, the substrate being more like a concrete tile, clay tile, something like that, 
So for a what you might think of as a slate or cement tile roof, uh, these are getting attractive, very expensive. This is now on, you know, what I would call there's there's the the leading edge, early adopters, and then before all of that, there's the bleeding edge. Well, uh, Tesla has some really nice uh, individual uh, tiles that plug together um, on houses, and they're pretty um, attractive. Uh, you know, not a lot of color choices because, of, you know, the color of the tile. The point being that now manufacturers are struggling through still on the bleeding edge with solar roof materials that are not so, forgive me, are, are not so unattractive, not so ugly. Um, because if you want to put a big glass panel on your roof, you know, it, it has visual consequences for uh, homes with a beautiful roof, roof line, nice material, all that stuff. So the point being, solar's coming on. Uh, so I, I travel the country learning about all these various things and visit various. Because I want to know, if you're doing this thing new, show me the process. I want to analyze whether I trust the longevity of this because a roof could be 25, 40 years. Um, now, I'll tell you the other secret. The average age of a roof in the Midwest, because of all of our tornadoes, storms, hailstorms, and all that, something like 10, 12 years. So when you buy a roof that has a 25, 35, 40-year warranty, uh, what that means is it will sustain the onslaught of many more um, storms than normal So uh, it, because they're just hardier materials. But truth be known, sooner or later they're going to wear out many roofs, as I understand it, do not live to their full age. Although my particular experiences, most of the roofs that, of course, I, I pick better roofs. Most the roofs I'm involved with, you know, tend to last a pretty long time. Anyway, let's go to the phone line, see what's cooking here, and talk to my friend Gretchen. Hey, Gretchen, Scott Mosby, uh, happy uh, Saturday. How can I help you today? Thank you, Scott, for taking my call. I have a frost-free faucet on my patio. It's not enclosed, but and I'm told that you don't have to turn the water off downstairs, but I always did. It was installed in 2009. I tried to turn the water off downstairs. It won't go all the way off, so should I not worry about it because I really don't have to turn the water off or can at my leisure call a plumber maybe the threads are gone on you know the house well this was installed in 2009 the frost free but I don't it was my ex-son-in-law so I don't know if he checked the faucet downstairs so it's a built house built in the 50s and it's a frame house you know single story ranch so I don't know what to do uh, actually, your frost-free faucet, if you're downstairs in the basement, Gretchen, as you look up, <clears throat> there should be a big fat pipe coming in from that frost-free pa- faucet, like three-quarters of an inch in diameter might look like an inch to you, but it's bigger than the half inch, and then there should be another pipe that comes in. Uh, built in the 50s, does your house have copper, or is it iron pipe? It looks like copper pipe when I look up, you know, at the, um, you know, at the water pipes. Good. Down in the basement, ceiling, you know. Yeah, so in that first uh, four inches, six inches, eight inches, there should be a fatter part of that faucet with frost-free. As long as that's four to eight inches inside your house, 
um, it doesn't matter if you turn the old stop off. Um, next time you get a plumber in the house, I would ask him to change that for you. Um, but as far as a freeze risk, as long as you remove the hose from the outside screw nozzle on that frost-free faucet, you'll be okay. Because if you don't turn the water off inside, be aware that frost-free faucet has already turned the water off inside where that fat pipe is, maybe four to eight inches inside your house. Okay, thank you. I understand, uh, Scott. Thank you so much. Great, great question, and now is absolutely the time, Gretchen. Thanks for bringing it up. Great topic for KMOX this morning. Thank you, Scott. All right, bye now. Home Improvement, KMOX, another one. I'm going to do one of my Scott get up on the stump speeches. Please disconnect your garden hoses. Please disconnect your garden hoses. Every time you wash the car, every time you water a plant, every time you wash the deck, clean off the barbecue, whatever it is at this time, because temperatures drop below freezing at night, and you never know. I mean, you never know. Sometimes they plunge pretty hard. We're still into the 20s on our lows. Generally, it's hard to you know, freeze a, f- a hose bib um, in the 20s until you get down to two, three days of 22 degree temperatures. The point being that an antifreeze hose bib faucet, when you turn it off, since <clears throat> there's a big, long <clears throat> excuse me, there's a big long rod that when you're turning the knob on the outside, you're turning the knob that goes way deep inside the heated part of your basement or inside the uh, building envelope, the insulated box of your house. And it's turning the water off where it's warm, not where it's cold. If you leave a garden hose on that, that big empty pipe that goes into the warm part of your house stays full of water where it can freeze. So you must remove the garden hose. It doesn't matter whether you coil it up or whatever. Just disconnect it from the garden hose, and then the water drips out. So for those of you that have these antifreeze, anti-siphon hose bibs, you generally turn the water off, and since there's a 12-inch, 16-inch, or a long pipe that goes inside the house, that water will drip for anywhere from one to six seconds because that pipe is draining. That's the good part. There's nothing inside that pipe that can freeze from the outside. That's why they're antifreeze. Uh, we're going to take a short pause and come back for more here on KMOX. Phone lines are open. Bring it on. Bring it in. Er, vote early and often. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. This is Scott Mosby. I am at your service right here on KMOX. Oh, yeah, baby. A little moonwalk here. Watch this. Check this out. What? Oh, check. Yeah. Uh, see my side? Yeah. Back. Oh, yeah. Oh, white glove. Le- oh, never. Radio. Oh, this is not a visual medium. Scott Mosby standing by. I promise no more moonwalks because it's uh, maybe I'm just locked in the room just a little too long here by myself. Uh, 314-436-7900 saved me. So uh, bring it on. Bring it in. I apparently spending too much time by myself in this uh, studio, so we can talk about home improvement. This is hour two. We've got another hour following up until one o'clock today when we have your retirement professionals on. Let's get to my friends here who have been holding on the phone lines. Talk to one of my favorite people on earth, Charlotte. Good morning, Charlotte. Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Good morning, Scott. Um, I have a 50-year-old ranch home that has a concrete porch uh, that extends about 20 feet across the front 
and okay. it's about six feet wide. And over time, that has uh, it has uh, hollowed out under there, eroded. <clears throat> and I want to know what's the right way to backfill that and and prevent a recurrence. Um, is the concrete in pretty good shape, Charlotte? Yes. Wow, you're in great shape. Here's what happens: the um, <clears throat> soil settled out from underneath that concrete porch. So the good news is you have some sort of support for that porch, whether what's called brackets or haunches, something poured into the concrete foundation or the concrete block foundation, some support that's holding up that concrete. It's also likely <clears throat> keyed into the foundation with piers out uh, you know, six feet away. Uh, so that's the, the good news, and the, all that's uh, a long way of saying your structure is still in good shape. This is only dirt and potentially water. So what happens is when your house was built, builder comes in, digs a big hole, and in order to get the concrete form guys down into the hole, they need two feet outside that concrete wall for them to get down and put together the forms and the firm ties and all that stuff to put it up and take it down after the concrete's poured. Well, that's loose, fluffy soil, and it's called an overdig, or big dig the hole oversized, bigger than the foundation needs. What happens over the next five years usually is that soil settles back down, so they backfill it. They push loose, fluffy soil that's now 60% bigger than when it was before it was dug up, and that soil next to the foundation settles, and they'll grade it out around, you know, uh, <clears throat> out six feet as well. What happened is that soil dropped. It settled back in, and you can have... You know, opossums living down there. You can have woodchucks living down there, mice, uh, all kinds of ground squirrels and stuff, because it's a nice little void. This is low tech. Hello. 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 Oh, goodness. Well, anyway, uh, putting the soil back underneath that foundation is very low tech. I like loose, fluffy soil, um, put it near the hole, and then I typically do silly things like jam it in with a two-by-four or something. Are you still there, Charlotte? Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, thank you. I I got I lost you for a minute there. <laughs> well, my we've home, got a lot my of home is on a, My home is also on a slope. Um, yeah. the, uh, the territory around me is very hilly, and mm. uh, it slopes uh, from, from left to right downhill. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that this had something to do with it washing out. And I'm yeah. reluctant to just put soil there uh, without some way to prevent this from happening again. Well, that would be drainage. But in terms of filling that void, uh, yes, fill the void because water can flow in there and cause foundation problems on wet basement type stuff. But it's really low tech. So just putting any kind of soil, usually it's a loose, fluffy soil because you're trying to get it into a two inch crack or four inch crack or whatever's in there. Uh, but that's low tech. What's important is grade the soil. Uh, out in front of that porch, two feet away, so you create a ditch, allowing the water not to flow so much underneath that porch. Uh, and a gen gentle, almost invisible ditch is called a swale, S-W-A-L-E. So you just, in grading the yard, you basically have a downslope, and you create a very gentle um, 
uh, depression or groove, which creates kind of a ditch and carries the water around the house away from that porch, stopping the erosion of the soil and settling. So okay, the disease, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good idea to put, like, crushed rock under there or something? Not really, because, it, well, you can as long as it's what's called minus, which has all the dust and the fines and the stuff. That you can put in there. But the problem with that is you also have one-inch big stones, and sometimes that stuff doesn't go in there. There is no really good way to do this. Uh, some of the concrete leveling uh, surface, you know, like the old mud jacking, now it's done with a foam. Uh, you can put foam in there. Uh, that will uh, fill it up, but you're not. You don't really need, you know, a thousand or two thousand dollars of foam to uh, fill that mm-hmm. void. It's pretty low tech. The well, biggest problem is keep know, the water 20, out. It's twenty one. It's twenty feet long and six feet wide, and it's pretty much empty under there. Wow. Well, well, maybe it would be worth uh, foam jacking, you know, on one of the concrete levelers. It's something that's done in more warmer temperatures than this typically, but uh, you can okay. explore that. So next but it, year, next spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big porch. It's expensive to replace it. Probably would be worth the investment of, of foaming and filling that. Okay. All right. Because I wanted something that would last. I'm not a big fan of plastics and foam, but... But, um, you know, I just I want something that's a permanent fix. And it's a it's a big porch and it's an architectural feature of the house. Mm, Agreed. Yes. Sounds grand. I mean, 20 by six. Oh, golly. I mean, and that's interesting because as we're building forward, uh, we're becoming more connected. Even with this whole pandemic thing, we got tired of being by ourselves. Everybody's sitting back out on the front porch or front yard and just trying to reconnect like sitting on grandma's lap years ago. So. Exactly, exactly. And and that's the feeling I want. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful that this hasn't pulled away from the house. Um, and, and I want a permanent fix. And I'm, like I said, I'm not thrilled with the idea of foam because I, I we've got too much plastic in our planet already. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. And it's all appropriate outdoors as well. So I, I follow you there. But you can do soil as well. What you're really putting the soil in there. Um, your your porch is already proven it doesn't need the soil to hold up, but the soil goes in there to keep the critters out and the water out, and then I would do some sort of a drainage correction to keep the water from flowing underneath that porch. Yeah, that's going to be tricky. <laughs> it is. That's... The water is the water's coming in on, on one end of the porch and going all the way underneath it and coming out the other end. Yeah, that's the problem. The soil void yeah. is just the indication, but the real problem is the water flow eroding and carrying soil away. Yes. 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 That's where the money gets spent on correcting the water. <laughs> Okie dokie. Thank you so much, sir. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Take care, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Scott Bye-bye. Mosby. Bye. Home improvement. Uh, we've got some really great questions here. I mean, some... Good weather begats really great questions because everybody's out there looking at their house. So kudos to you, the CAMOX listeners, uh, smartest listeners in the world, I might add, uh, mostly because you pay attention. If you're calling a show like this, you have an interest in preserving your home. Uh, If you're calling for a question, you have an awareness that something isn't right and it's causing whatever discomfort with you, um, uneasiness. Or medically, it's called disease or dis-ease, uneasiness. Uh, So make sure we're taking good care of our houses. 
Let's see what's cooking here and talk with uh, Vic. Let's stay on concrete and talk with Vic. Hey, Vic, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. Thank you for taking my call, Scott. I appreciate it. I, yes, I'm doing a, uh, about a seven-by-seven-foot seven concrete flat slab. It goes alongside my existing uh, concrete roof stairs. When I dug mm-hmm. it out, the top base of the concrete stairs, the old concrete stairs, uh, kind of protrudes out, you know, and it would be hard for me to get a board or expansion joint up against it without chiseling and cleaning that up, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to do that and because of potential cracks and stuff that might go, you know, open up in the old concrete. I was wondering yeah. if it's all right to bump that concrete, the new concrete, up against that without anything there. Uh, opposite it is uh, ground, dirt, so it's not, you know, between two pieces of concrete or anything. Yeah. Um, the issue is, uh, number one, yes, you can put the concrete right up against the old concrete. Uh, it has to be two inches thick or more. So where yeah. that ugly overpour ragged jagged edge is i would suggest getting an abrasive concrete blade or something and cut that down because jam you know hitting it with a chisel it does need to get cleaned up and drop down because if you pour only a quarter of an inch or a half an inch cement over it it's going to crack and it'll be a void there and next time we go through this winter by you know by next june that cement will all be gone because of you know keep in mind your new seven by seven slab is going to go up and down and up and down with the freeze and thaw every year some more than others so that's why it's important that you have an a smooth vertical face on the face riser of those old steps so that as your slab moves up and down uh you don't tear up your new concrete follow me there oh i got you yeah that's very good advice yeah i'll, I'll clean up with a abrasive saw instead of chiseling it yeah okay, I, well thank yeah, yeah before yeah, it's going to be fun, brother. You know, you're just the man for the job, too, I'm sure. Okay, well, you have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, Vic. Good luck, my friend. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. Bring it on. We've got some phone lines here, 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. When uh, we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about plumbing pipes, uh, PEX, copper, iron pipe, PVC. What does all that stuff mean? Uh, why do we care? And what are some of the attributes of each? And also, not all copper is the same. There are various thicknesses of copper pipes. So, that and likewise in soldering connecting copper not all solder is the same we'll talk about that when we come back here on camo x wow yeah baby oh a little bit saturday morning boisterous activity here on camo x <laughs> scott mosby Phone lines for you, 314-436-7900. Bring it on, bring it early, bring it many, 314-436-7900. Scott Mosby at the helm, cruising down the lower-than-normal mighty Mississippi. Uh, And uh, I'll I'll get a couple of these phone calls here, and then we'll come back to discussing the pipes, the pecs, the PVC, what it all means, the various copper, copper thicknesses, fluxes, as well as the solders that go into it. Be uh, a little bit of uh, one of my uh, stump speeches, if you will. Let's go to Anna, see what's cooking. Hey, Anna, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question about, I have a double sink, mm-hmm. uh, 
at the kitchen, and one has got one side is the um, garbage disposal, and that one is not draining very good. But I know I need a new garbage disposal. Um, so, and the other side drains real good. Do I do I need to um, just get the garbage disposal and that'll solve the problem, or do I need to start putting that plumber stuff down the drain or whatever? Uh, well, the good news is, Anna, that uh, yes, you have a uh, block, um, but it's all happening probably right underneath your sink. <clears throat> so changing your garbage disposal, your disposer, um, the piping underneath that is probably full of grease. So the pipe on the other sink uh, has its own P-trap, so it's a pretty direct pipe. But then there's this horizontal pipe that comes out of the side of your disposer, and then it drops into the pipe underneath the other sink bowl. That horizontal pipe has very little slope on it, um, so the liquid travels slowly. You're throwing things in the disposer that are grease-laden. So the long and the short of it is the pipe that goes from the disposer bowl to the other one is probably pretty well plugged up, if not the opening coming out of the disposer. So if you're ready for a new garbage disposer, just have him change all the pipes underneath your sink, which he's got to pull them apart anyway. So, you know, it's an extra $12 of materials and most of that. And he'll take a look at that as well. And, and you know, he'll, you know, sometimes the go, the pipe going into the wall to the actual drain needs a little cleaning. Just tell him about it. And when you get the disposer changed, that's normal stock and trade in that process of uh, replacing those pipes. And tell him you want the new pipes because you don't have to change those pipes because, you know, it's already done, but it will take a little time, but that typically cleans up most of the blockages around a kitchen sink. So I need new pipes underneath, so that would mean I need to get a plumber to do to put in a new garbage disposal. Is that correct? Uh, yes, generally a plumber or somebody that has those skills. Uh, plumbers definitely have the skills, and they also have the experience that if they pull it apart and it's more they can get you up the hill to the next step, too, whereas sometimes appliance installers and handymen, they can replace the disposer for you, and you don't need a permit for that. It's a maintenance item under the building code. But the issue is is they may not be able to fix the next step, like replace all those pipes or be aware to look inside the wall for a block on that T-pipe you know, going into the drain. Okay, so I'll basically just get a plumber, and then that'll solve my problem. I think so. I think so. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good Good news. I, I think this is an easy one to answer for you, Anna. Scott Mosby okay. here standing. Yeah, right on. Uh, and Scott Mosby here. Again, <clears throat> what I mean is on Anna has two bowls. If you open the cabinet and you look down below, one of those bowls, it will be the one without the garbage disposal because the disposer sticks down like a big, uh, you know, uh, paint can kind of it's about the size of a gallon paint can well so the water falls into that disposer the disposer spins like a sideways fan grinds up all the solids and then it's got an exit kind of a hole in the side that it flings this material through horizontally and you run liquid and it fills up the bottom of the disposer and it carries the stuff into this horizontal pipe so the highest concentration of ground-up food, grease, oils, um, clotting flour, you know, stuff that, that really can be a block in pipe 
comes right out of that disposer into the least sloped pipe in your whole house. So that pipe just gets plugged up with all kinds of stuff. And you may or may not need new pipes, but you do need them cleaned out. Well, they're so inexpensive to change that most plumbers just pull it apart, leave the grease, the sludge, and all that st- stuff in the pipes, discard it, and put it in a, a new uh, the new drain. It, it all doesn't uh, it takes some knowledge on how to put it together. And then when they discard, disconnect it from the wall where the drain actually goes in and discards exhausts itself uh that's where it really matters um so yeah my opinion is probably a plumber would be the better choice for you there yeah scott mosby home improvement phone lines open 314-436-7900-800-925-1120 all right i promised you a little bit of a soliloquy on pipes um shark bite shark shark bite is a hand press connection and then gets crimped or compressed with a special uh, perimeter tool. So uh, shark bite and various pecs are good. I'm okay with those. I still prefer a little bit of the old copper um, on water supply pipes. These are all water supply pipes. So these are the, this is what's carrying the water for you and I to drink, cook, uh, washer cars, whatever it is, so potable water. Um, those PEX, P-E-X, is a coiled-up tubing of a half-inch and a larger diameter size. The good part of a PEX-type pipe is it's plastic. It expands and it contracts. If it freezes, it will take the freeze better than copper. Also true for PVC, polyvinyl chloride, the white plastic pipe, that is a little more resistant, although it, it not as much as the PEX-type tubing. Uh, so that and the shark bites are fine. Uh, I'm okay with using shark bite. I'm not a fan of plumbing an entire house with this stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm still Missouri show-me boy, you know, show-me state, so I'm the last on board with that. The original pipe was iron pipe, real pipe you know and uh, black iron or galvanized iron you'll see sometimes so think about that and pvc is really although it comes in potable water half inch three quarter one inch it's often used for irrigation systems as well as plumbing in houses um, and in manufactured homes Uh, pvc is most commonly uh, comes in thicknesses so the wall of the pipe is different thicknesses but it's commonly used for wastewater piping which is sewer drains so the pipe that uh, Anna would uh, have her plumber replace when she connects to it back in the wall likely it's going to be either cast iron from the 50s in her house or if the house is seven built in the 70s 80s 90s or now uh, it's likely a PVC white pipe there's also black ABS pipe in drain pipe as well. I, I, I can see a lot of your eyes out there glazing over as it go. The reason that black pipe is not used today is it supports combustion. White PVC will burn if it has to, but it will not continue in burning and support combustion. So the old ABS black pipes, nothing wrong with it, works just fine. Um, and I like the plastic pipe because they uh, scour better. So just running water through a drain uh, prevents clogs better than the old rough surface 
uh, cast iron. Anyway, Scott Mosby here. I'm going to take a short break, get down off my stump, and see what's cooking here. Keep in mind, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900. Scott Mosby at your service here on KMOX. This is the KMOX Home Improvement Show. Presented by Suburban Leisure Center. The place with the big red chair. Now, Scott Mosby on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. All right, back together, home improvement. Stay tuned. One more hour of home improvement following news, weather, and sports. Top of the hour. We go till uh, 1 o'clock today here on KMOX. 1 p.m. brings up your retirement professionals. 1 p.m., your retirement professionals. 2 p.m., the business of family business right here on KMOX. Let's talk with my friend Shirley and see what's cooking. Hey, Shirley, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help? And good morning to you. I have a problem with my basement floor. I mm-hmm. don't know what, and this has been uh, a couple years. When I first moved here, it was nice and dry, um, and it just started um, smelling musty uh, and cracks in the floor. I have a sump pump, and I've had plumbers out to, uh, to try to find my problem, and I don't get an answer. So they say it's... Um, uh, dehumidifier, things like that. But if this problem is underneath the, the concrete, I don't see that that's going to to help. And I've noticed through the cracks, um, I, I guess it's after a rain. I don't know because I'm never really there at the time. But it mm-hmm. looks like maybe, uh, I'll say, muddy water a little bit that kind of comes up through the cracks. Is that a hydrostatic pressure? Yep, yep. Uh, Shirley, how old is your house? When was it built, roughly? Uh, in O2. O2. Okay. Basically, that means, in my world, that's a new house. And what that means is underneath your concrete floor in the basement, in 2002, the building code would have required or, or asked for plastic sheet, a vapor barrier. So underneath your basement floor should be a big sheet of 6 mil or thick clear plastic or black plastic. That is made to slow down the moisture migration through your concrete floors. Moisture comes through the sidewalls of your concrete basement uh, foundation. It also comes up through the floor, and that's where the source of your musty moisture is. It is exactly as you are suspecting. Once the concrete floor breaks, sometimes there are breaches in that uh, sheeting and every time there's a floor drain or a footing or a column when that floor was poured they cut holes in that plastic sheet get around those columns and you know they lap the plastic so the long and the short of it is your basement floor is probably well prepared to resist this as possible now here now we're in a drought so all the soil under your floor around your foundation down the street two miles from your house, that stuff all dries and shrinks and cracks, just like when our hands get too dry. So going into this part of the season, I notice I start putting moisture out because my hands get dry because it's the drying and the humidity is dropping. The point is that this is normal stuff coming through. You do have hydrostatic pressure. This summer, everything that could leak did leak. Um, but something, do you have a lot of stuff in your basement or is it pretty much open and clear? I have a lot of things in my basement. Yeah, see, that's here. here's the ticket with that. Um, 
you get all that stuff out of your basement, it'll be very easy to do what the people have suggested with dehumidifiers and blowing fans around. The issue is moisture dries out very slowly. So if you've got a couch or you've got boxes of stuff down there, if you've got anything of fabric, um, that moisture during the summer is really wet, really high humidity. And it takes months for that moisture to come out of those boxes, out of the stuff in your basement. So the more stuff you have down there, your basement may actually be pretty dry, but the stuff in it is still wet. That's where your your smell is probably coming from. You will you will get moisture through those cracks and you will have migration. But if you don't have anything in the basement, you know, a week later, two weeks later, the basement's dry again from the dehumidifier and the fans, unless you have a bunch of moisture-holding stuff in the basement. Uh, I have nothing that is fabric. I have, like, Christmas uh, decorations and things like that. Um, And there's cardboard, I suppose, that would do that cardboard boxes. Yeah, that Um, cardboard, moisture loves cardboard. That's just wood. So that's where plastic tubs come in, you know, just to to hold the moisture out. Because mold will be on the outside of those boxes. Even if you had plastic tubs, mold mold would be on the outside. But it's molds all over you and me right now every day all the time anyway. It's just higher concentrations if you have a basement that doesn't have good ventilation. I did put a fan, just a small fan down there, and that did help some, uh, but really not enough. Um, Yeah. So I, I, you don't think there's anything I need to to do with the, um, I'll call it tubing that's around my, around the basement foundation on the inside that goes to a sump pump. Um, uh, not likely. This. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's not likely. If you have your drain tile, that pipe in and a sump pump, your house is prepared to make itself as dry as it can be. What you're dealing with is probably moisture vapor. It's just, you know, humidity. It doesn't sound to me like your basement is leaking. That sump pump would take care of it if anything happens. So I don't think you have a leaking basement. You just have a humid, stinky basement. I have um, two or three cracks that has developed over, say, the last five years. One of them is rather large on one side of the uh, of the basement. What do you think about those? Uh, those need to be uh, caulked, in my mind, not so much for moisture but for radon gas. So I would have those cleaned and caulked so that they're sealed and there'll be a little crack all the way around your foundation between the wall and the floor. I think those are important to caulk up. Uh, but uh, And that, that does a little bit of moisture. It'll slow down the moisture move. But uh, it, it's more for radon gas, which is, you know, cancer-causing radioactive, uh, you know, air pretty much. But, but so, what, what causes those cracks? Um, all the moisture leaving. For example, when your concrete is poured for that floor, there are thousands of gallons of water mixed in with gravel, sand, and cement. Over the next 20 years, all of those thousands of gallons of water 
dry out and disappear, creating a void in the concrete. And just like our hands shrinking when they get dry, that concrete, when it gets dry, shrinks as well. And as it shrinks, it will crack at its weakest point. In normal customary, it's not anything wrong. But when we have a drought like now, um, you know, all that soil uh, shrinks as well. So the support underneath that concrete moves down, and that's where your cracks come from. This is this is just normal. Like you and I get wrinkles, um, but your basement floor just uh, has the same reaction with wet and dry and wet and dry. So it's nothing wrong, but it does need to be addressed for moisture and radon. Okay, and um, well, what was my question? Yeah, your drain tile and your um, sump pump, I wouldn't worry about that, but I would install a continuously running dehumidifier down there that has a tube running to a, a floor drain, so it runs all the time, and I would then, your fans have something to move the air around and the dehumidify, uh, dehumidification or drying of the air happens. Um, it, 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 you You can address this. But you almost need to repack everything <clears throat> in your basement or or take it out. Uh, anyway, we're getting to the end of the hour here, Shirley. Thank you for your call here on KMOX. Scott Mosby, stay tuned. We've got Hour 3 coming up after the news, weather, and sports on KMOX. This is Scott Mosby. I am at your service here on the Home Improvement Show.